thank you so much for for having me and and and, and hello everybody and kind of what wonderful what wonderful talks already uh, and uh i'll just start i'll start i'll start i'll start talking i'll start talking away i've written this book it's called it's called the premonitions bureau um and it came out um earlier this year um and i thought what i'd do is just talk to you about some of the thoughts that sustained me while i was doing the research and kind of since it since it's come out they're just the things that have really stayed with me in a way and they're, they're all kind of in there but i thought i'd just sort of tease them out um a little bit so the royal society is the the word the world's oldest active scientific organization it was founded in the 1660s with a motto nullius in verba to take nobody's word for it and the idea of the world society was that it was going to be a new way of describing the world through facts gained by experiment um and about 30 years into its existence the world society commissioned a young scottish tutor called martin martin to map and describe life in the western isles of scotland and martin study it's still in print uh, he chose to devote about 35 pages to the phenomenon of second sight um the gaelic phrase for for second sight is is andashella uh, it literally means two sides uh, you have one way of perceiving the world which is logical and materialist and rational and you have another way of perceiving the world and that is one which is magical and which is unbounded by time or by reason and in martin's description people who lived in the hebrides in the 17th century would see phantom wedding processions coming through the fields or a neighboring farmer would would have an accident on the far side of the island and people would would see it and go to their go to their side children would see the body of a relative laid out on the dining room table or on the sideboard even while they were still among them these these visions were kind of sufficiently common that there were there were, there were patterns to them uh, if a spark fell on your shoulder uh, it meant that your child would die if you were in a lonely place and you heard the sound of music it would mean that a church would be built there one day when he was doing the study martin himself was often seen kind of hundreds of miles from where he was and i kind of i thought about martin a lot when i was researching my book because the, the the story of the premonitions bureau is is also a story a second sight and martin made two observations that that really struck me and one was that the people of the hebrides they weren't drunk they weren't mad they didn't describe this as a gift or a particular affliction it was just part of their way of making sense of things and they didn't believe every vision or dream or sense of foreboding that they had but they didn't disregard it either and things kind of fell out the way that they thought they were going to they accepted that and they managed to sort of integrate these two sides these two sides of their their minds they're kind of their two sides and the second observation that he made that that really struck me was that this was at least partly social um and martin noticed that when people moved away from the western isles of scotland they would stop having these dreams or these visions and if they moved back again then they would then they would return um 
The Premonitions Bureau was set up by a psychiatrist called John Barker in the 1960s. Uh, and Barker decided to set out to collect the dreams of the British public and to be, see if they could be used to prevent future disasters. Uh, Barker was a really fascinating person to, to write about. He was a, he was a divided soul. He, kind of had, he had two parts to, to his mind and to his life, really. Uh, on the one hand, he was a kind of a rational, progressive doctor. He had a serious job. He was the deputy superintendent of a large mental hospital uh, outside Shrewsbury. Uh, he was on the side of reform during the 1960s, uh, taking the locks off the doors, discharging long-stay patients. But on the other hand, he was a child of the first half of the 20th century. Uh, he kept a crystal ball on his desk. Uh, he went ghost hunting uh, on the weekends. And Barker's, Barker's, Barker's idea was to try and collect people's premonitions and dreams on a sufficient scale that you'd be able to feed them into a computer and that a computer would look for peaks and patterns in the information. And if you collected these things in sufficient numbers, then maybe you could send out a kind of an official early warning of a kind of looming plane crash or a rail disaster. It was a kind of a voice of warning from the kind of collective subconscious. It's a really, really nutty experiment and it didn't go very well. Uh, I won't give away the ending, uh, but I will give you away the kind of the twist, which is the kind of part the way through the experiment, two of Barker's most trusted recipients, uh, as he called them, warned him that he was going to die. Um, I worked on the book for a long time, uh, and sometimes I'd, I'd sort of lose confidence, and I'd wonder why I was writing it and why I was researching it. In many ways, it's a, it's a curious, slightly macabre, story but just when i was sort of feeling kind of low i guess i would sort of i would stumble on an idea uh, that would suggest that that maybe what i was writing about wasn't totally marginal and strange but was maybe connected to sort of more universal ways of thinking uh, and i thought i'd just talk about you know just a couple of those a couple of those ideas and the first is an idea called it's a sort of a concept called the predictive brain, which has become increasingly important among neuroscientists since the 1990s. I'll kind of I'll kind of butcher it now, but the sort of the, the, the basic idea is that it sort of more or less overturns the kind of the classical model of perception. And what I what I mean by that is that we don't just, if you like, passively receive experiences as they happen to us. Uh, in fact, as soon as we think that something's about to happen our brain fires up all our kind of our memories, our education, our kind of learning, what neuroscientists call our priors, to go and kind of meet this experience as it happens to us. So to sort of give a really kind of banal example, if I kind of if I touch my finger to, to the palm of my hand, there's not a kind of signal that sort of travels up my arm and, and tells my brain that, 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 that this is happening. I've, I've probably touched my finger to my palm so many times but in fact, the only information that goes to my brain is the difference between what I'm expecting to happen and what actually does happen. It's the gap between what I, what I think is about to occur and what actually does. People call these the prediction error. It's very kind of, and in the case of kind of touching my finger to my palm, I've probably done it so many times that there might be no information at all 
going to my brain. And so when you, when you get your head around the predictive brain, you realize it's a much more efficient way of moving through the world, taking kind of partial pieces of information and intuitions. It's not a kind of a magical or a strange uh, kind of activity. It's actually much more closely related to, to, how, we, to how we survive. Um, and then there's that second idea of, of Martin's, uh, which is about the idea of community uh, and a shared way of thinking. Again, I don't think it's the kind of the first thing that you think about when people talk about premonitions. You might think about Mystic Meg or something like that. But actually the idea that you can see what's about to happen to me before it does, it kind of it suggests a shared consciousness. And, and Barker, like lots of other kind of mid-century British intellectuals, was kind of profoundly influenced by, by the work of, of Carl Jung. And I think at that time there was a, a real yearning for shared experience and the idea that societies could be joined in ways that people couldn't see or fully understand. So when I was writing the book, I was often imagined the Premonitions Bureau a bit like a Hebridean island, uh, uh, writing about a kind of a time and a place where a small group of people believed that they could see the future. And another idea that sort of has come up is the idea that we're more likely to to see connections and see patterns which might not necessarily be there at times of stress. Um, there's a really nice phrase, uh, which is perceptual hunger, kind of a hunger to see information which might not be there. It was kind of coined by a student of, of Ivan Pavlov. And there was a, a nice experiment in the late 1970s where some researchers at the, the Institute of Higher Nervous Activity and Neurophysiology in Moscow showed some slides to some, some people who were about to jump out of an aeroplane. Um, and these slides, they were kind of, there were sort of jumbles of dots, and, and inside the dots there were some numbers, uh, but some of them were just kind of jumbles. And they, they showed them to these parachutists, and they, they found that they were best at spotting the hidden numbers uh, when they were sort of on the runway and the plane was about to take off and they were in front of adrenaline and ready to go. And they were most likely to see numbers that weren't there just when they jumped out of the plane. And I don't think it's a, a coincidence that the kind of the two great periods of sort of paranormal research in the 20th century in Britain were around the First World War, time of kind of dramatic social and technological change and, and horror, um, and in the 1960s when Barker was setting up the Premonitions Bureau. It's another time of kind of dramatic social and, and technological change kind of haunted by the possibility of nuclear war. Uh, and I kind of don't think it's beyond the realm of reason to think that we might be living through one of those times um, now. Uh, one of the things that people kind of ask me is what, what would a kind of, what would a contemporary uh, Premonitions Bureau look like? Uh, and when they ask me that, I think about a guy called uh, Teilhard de Chardin. Um, and de Chardin was a, a French Jesuit priest and a paleontologist and an evolutionary thinker. He was really, really deep. Uh, if you uh, haven't read Dushad, I encourage you to kind of get out there and be confounded by, by his ideas. But he, he thought that we were still evolving, that, people were, that humans were evolving, and the next kind of logical stage of our evolution was a shared global consciousness. 
uh, and he called this the Omega Point. And it was a hopeful vision of a shared global consciousness. Uh, the idea that we would become more caring and more empathetic and more able to consider our kind of shared future to be more humane to one another. Um, and one of the things I love about the Premonitions Bureau is that on the one hand, it's pretty mad, uh, but on the other hand, the idea of kind of pouring all our dreams and our, and our, and our anxieties uh, into computers and searching for patterns in them, it really strongly resembles social networks and, and the internet and how, we, and how we think today. And it's really easy to see the sort of the dark side of that. But I also kind of, part of me sort of hopes that maybe there's, there's a positive side of a kind of, of a shared global consciousness and we just haven't been able to see it yet.